This is a HeadGum Podcast. Andrew, I heard a rumor. Rumor has it. Uh-huh. This week's episode is brought to us by Squarespace. What's Well, Craig, that? you can't believe everything that you hear, but you can believe this one because this episode is brought to you at home by Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They help you showcase your work, blog, or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds. All kinds. Mm. And more. Uh, they do this by giving you beautiful templates, just mouth-watering, gorgeous, lush templates created by world-class designers. And you can customize the look and feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks. It's optimized for mobile right out of the box. It's free and secure. The hosting is anyway. And you don't have to patch or upgrade anything ever, never, never. So don't worry about it. Just stop worrying about it. I will. Uh, you Make it stand out with a beautiful website. Go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue. Rumor has it, this is a great deal. Squarespace. Hey everybody, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Listen, you gotta, I know we're trying to keep it upbeat, keep it upbeat on this podcast, but you gotta, you gotta dial it down one or two, just one or two. Just a little bit? From where that was. Okay. Wherever that was. We're here Craig, in November is all. We are here, here in November, We may, but. So we made it through Spooktober, right? We survived, yes. We made it through another Spooktober, but then you come to me with this book with witch in the name. Mm. I this is this feels like extra innings for Spooktober in it, a way that I don't know if I'm cool with. You know, it is a little bit. So we are going to talk about the book, uh, The Last Wish, which is the first collection of Witcher stories by Andrei Zapkowski. Zapkowski, excuse me. Um, and yeah, Andrew, it, there's a little bit of witchiness. There's a little bit of monsters. It's a little witchy. Witchy poo. It felt like a good off-ramp from Spooktober. Like, it made sense to me. I just, you know, the the Lovecraft Country episode is going to hit the main feed later this week, so we've still got a bit of a Spooktober hangover it's still, going on. It's still a little spooky up in here. Is what yeah, yeah. Uh, and this just felt like a good one. It's also been on our Patreon list for a while. Thank you, Mary, for this Patreon recommendation. Mary said... Y'all should read The Last Wish by Andrei Zivkovsky. That's what Mary said. So okay, here we Mary. are. <laughs> Thank you for your support. I like that, like, the, what, like a year and a half before the Netflix TV show came out, that yeah. Mary tossed a coin to her podcasters to do a episode about this Witcher book. She did indeed. Yes, you may be listening I to I guess this. when I said that the witch was in the title, I guess I mean which is on the cover of the book because it says, hey, this book has the Witcher in it. Yes. the At e least the cover that I've seen. Yeah, does. the cover that I have for my edition definitely prominently features Henry Cavill as Geralt the Witcher, uh, Geralt of Rivia, uh, and it's. I think the full title of the edition is The Last Witch, the Last Wish Introducing the Witcher, <laughs> um, just to let you know. And this is a collection of short stories by Zipkowski. 
that like in as it says introduce this character and the world though it is not it was not written like i don't think they were all written for an initial collection like some of them were written independently and then collected for this publication yeah so uh sapowski started writing these stories uh for a, a polish sci-fi and fantasy magazine called Fant- fantastica it's probably Fantastica, but Fantastica, <laughs> beginning in 1986, uh, and then the first. So this is actually the second short story collection in like publication order, but chronologically, it is the first one, and it is usually labeled as like yeah. number one. Once it uh, came out over here in the states, as they call them in Poland. Uh, in the first place, <laughs> it was the first book. Um, so this is a my understanding is that this is a this is about the Witcher Geralt of Rivia who has flashbacks to various adventures that he has had, and that gives it its uh its its short story format. This uh, takes inspiration from multiple fairy tales, including Rumpelstiltskin, uh, Beauty and the Beast, and Snow White. Sure. And fun fact: this book was given to Barack Hussein Obama by. Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk in 2011, and it only hit the New York Times bestseller list in June 2015 when the video game The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt was released. So yeah. we'll, we'll cover the video games a little bit more as we go. But. So, you know, the thing to know about Andre, because uh, if you've never listened to our show before, if you're only here because you heard, oh, there's a podcast about The Witcher, I need to tune in. Uh, one of us reads a book that the other per- that we haven't read before, and we talk to the other person about it. Um, I certainly only know about Andre and The Witcher uh, because of the existence of the video games, uh, which I've never played, but I know that they're out there. And then they made the Hot Witcher TV show for Netflix, right, with Henry Cavill, with Henry Cavill as the Hot Witcher. Yes, which seemed to be like pretty well inspired by both the novels and short stories as well as the games like they were kind of taking cues from both yeah like i I think the the stories themselves are more based on the books but definitely like the the visual language Mm -hmm. and like the design of of Geralt of Rivia himself is very much of the of the games And and i think they probably knew that their potential audience was more familiar with the games than with the stories so even if you're basing it on the on the books you know you you've got to give those people coming from the game something to to grab onto yep. i suppose yeah um so yeah the the this was published in uh in poland in 1993 the the first like the first one in publication order second in chronological order was published in 92 um and was translated first in uh 2007 i believe um, and then the main Witcher saga, which uh, encompasses five novels published between 1994 and 1999 and released in English between 2008 and 2017. Um, those books are, hold on, I have the names of them pulled up here in one of these tabs that I've While lost. you find that, let me just give a quick shout out to Denusia Stoke, who is the translator. Um, overall, I thought the translation was pretty good, though it does like have some... Odd, just little eccentricities. Every time he pulls out his sword, he like draws a semicircle in the air, uh-huh. in just a way that it just there's a 
a translation quirk, I think, going on from Polish to English. I mean, I can read that and I can definitely see the video game animation that does yes. the same like sword drawing animation every time, even he, if the sword is like clipping through stuff. He also runs in a lot of semicircles in this book, which I, th- which to me always felt like he was strafing dudes, which again, the video game makes a lot of sense. Did you find those other books, Andrew? I did. So the second short story collection is called Sword of Destiny, and then the main Witcher saga is called Blood of Elves. Yeah. Time of Contempt, Baptism of Fire, The Tower of the Swallow, and The Lady of the Lake. So it gets it's pretty violent there at the start, and then yep. it calms down by the end. And then uh, he did one more book that was in the same universe, but was a standalone novel called uh, Season of Storms that was published in Poland in 2013 and translated in 2018. And then there have been other short stories in the universe that have been released as part of other uh, short story collections where the other stories had nothing to do with the the Witcher. Okay. And then finally with <laughs> Sapovsky's Sap- <laughs> man I'm just tripping over all the names with his blessing other authors as as happens a lot I think with with like big fantasy worlds that are built to like house a lot of locations and characters other off- authors have been given the, his blessing to come in here and write other short stories and so there have been a few of those as well uh i do believe that there were some polish film and tv adaptations called hexer oh, yeah. Yeah. and the hexer which the is movie, pretty great the hexer was in 2001 and then the show was in 2002 those were both polish and then the he did Netflix not like show. them apparently he so I don't know how he feels about his creations success as like this transmedia experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I know so so I I was trying to find stuff about the like how those came to how how the how these stories came to America in the first place and it does seem like they kind of came over with the game and all I could find about the game is that this uh this outfit called Metropolis Software, uh, which was b- bought by the company CD Project. Yeah, CD Project, Project Red. K. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, they bought the rights from um, Sukovsky in like 1997, and they just kind of sat there for a while, and um, and Sapovsky like he he sold them the rights for like 9,500 dollars American, roughly. And he just wanted that payment up front rather than through royalties. Uh Uh-oh. And in 2017, he apparently said uh, he had no interest in video games and only wanted the money. (laughs) (laughs) So I I get like, so the the first Witcher was sort of a niche thing. Like people liked it, but it was a PC only game, which sort of uh, limits the audience out of the gate. And then the Witcher 2 in 2011 uh, That's when was, I first heard about the series. Yeah, was Witcher it, it 2. was an Xbox 360 game. I mean, I think it was a PC game first, but yep. it also came out on the Xbox 360. And then The Witcher 3 has been released on everything with a <laughs> screen and buttons. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's been, been very popular. popular. Yeah, yeah it, it is. I've played only a little tiny bit of it. It, it is. If you were thinking like a uh, like a Skyrim sort of aesthetic, you're not too far off. I don't think. Sure. Both um, in terms of the way it looks and the way it plays, but yeah, uh, it's worth noting. I think CD Projekt Red, there for folks who follow games, they have their their cyberpunk game coming out. They've been getting a lot of flack for like worker crunch stuff, which is a huge problem in the industry because they make yeah, these big giant games. Makes video games. 
that are like a whole, you know, fictional world inside of them. And I, I don't know. I've seen some articles where Sapkowski has like a, a pretty chill approach to like making stuff. And that is at odds with video game development by big studios. Yeah. And, and that's like that has gotten worse in recent years with games like uh, Fortnite or even like a Fall Guys, which we are both fans yeah. of. Um because people sort of are demanding new stuff all the, time. all the time. And so where normally the crunch would happen and then it would end when the game came out, you're just kind of in a state of perma crunch. And a lot of these people are freelancers who are fired and then rehired in between projects. It's just not great. No. Maybe if you're in the games industry and you're listening to this, I think we have some of you. Yeah. Consider it, consider unionizing. Yeah, maybe do that. I know I say this a lot to like everybody who asks, but, but maybe unionizing. maybe organize. Um that ends our gamer moment. Um I do want to just make sure we shout out uh that Zapkowski did receive a World Fantasy Award for Life Achievement for The Witcher. It has been that well regarded over time. Yeah, in 2016. His, yeah. Um, let's take a quick break, Andrew, and then I'll tell you all about, uh, the Witcher, Geralt of Rivia. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Craig, tell me more about other, any other outfits that are tossing a coin to your podcasters this week. Ah, sure. Dirt Cheap is tossing a coin to your favorite book podcast, which is also a book podcast. Dirt Cheap is a new podcast from Neon Hum Media that digs deep into the dollar bins of used bookstores and your grandmother's storage unit in search of pulp, sass, and questionable grammar. Uh, Each season, (laughs) hosts Amanda Meadows and Jeffrey Golden explore a forgotten pulp novel culled from the dustbin of literary history, and they reenact its pages through narration and sound design, but also take breaks to point out how absurd it is along the way. And in season one, they are reading Murder in the Glass Room, an L.A. noir novel that almost became a blockbuster film. Uh, It's a funny, surprising, and very dated tale about a murder (laughs) starring a petulant... uh, bookie named phil who's obsessed with following that murder and is also really into interior design Um, this uh this ad is making me kind of wish we'd had an embargo on advertisements for podcasts with better hooks yeah it's a great hook it really sounds like something that folks who've liked our long read projects might enjoy but also want the fun of like uncover uncovering a book they've never heard of before um, each episode, Amanda and Jeffrey guide you through like chapter by chapter, and they extract excerpts and provide their own commentary. Um, you can subscribe and follow the story to solve the mystery of season one on Dirt Cheap now. Just listen to the show by searching for Dirt Cheap in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> One more fun fact about Witchers, just to bring us back in, mm. is that uh, apparently uh, Sapkowski. Can you give me the pronunciation of that name one more time? Because I feel like I'm Sapkowski. okay. Cool. I feel like I've been drifting further from it every time. I've said <laughs> we, it. we drift further from the light every time we say his name. But uh, he said in an interview, because because Witcher, I think if you just read the Witcher, it's kind of weird. It makes Witcher seem like it's a verb where you're yeah. like wit- someone is witching. <laughs> which I guess isn't untrue, but he uh, asserts that it is a natural male version of the word witch. 
Yeah, in, so in you, the Polish. Rather than like yeah. the, the traditional warlock, I guess, you would have a witch and then a witcher. Yes, yes. So witch. that's where witcher comes from. Sure, and that makes... There are priestesses and sorceresses and things of that nature in this world. Witchers seem to stand apart and uh, people have their own opinions about witchers, most of which are bad. Um yeah, this is an interesting book to read to get introduced to the world because, as we alluded to in the in the first section, like I don't think Sapkowski was writing these stories with the in- necessarily with the intent contemporaneously of like pulling a George R. R. Martin, right? Like it doesn't feel like he is building out this big universe. Uh, or that he, excuse me, that he has already built that universe and now he's like choosing which parts to spotlight. It really feels like as you read these short stories that he is just kind of like, I don't know, there's a guy and there's some people and like some stuff's happening over there. Yeah, because his, like he started his literary career as a translator, I guess, and Mm -hmm. then started writing sort of on the side and it just kind of took off. And he, he has said that he started writing these stories like for his son who loved reading these uh, sci-fi fantasy magazines. Yeah. So yeah, not, not a thing where he had sat down and, and started withdrawing the big fantasy map that you see no. at the beginning of every like long running fantasy novel. Like he just kind of was going as, as he was just kind of making it up as he went, which I think sort of, like when you're thinking about inviting other authors into your world to play around, like it almost makes it easier when you don't have like a a show Bible that they need to read. So they don't like contradict anything that you've inserted into Canon, you know? Yeah. It feels like he, and he is riffing on existing folklore also. Like you mentioned, there's kind of a Rumpelstiltskin thing in one story. There's a beauty and the beast thing in one story. Uh, There's a kind of snow white, Sleeping Beauty and the Seven Dwarves thing going on in another story. And he's also working in different monsters from Slavic folklore. So you get the sense that he is almost like just kind of playing with his action figures a little bit. And (laughs) is just writing down the cool stories that he came up with. From what I can tell, the world of this, of The Witcher, is called The Continent. Okay. And and this is not even stuff I found in the book. I had to find this elsewhere. There are kingdoms and stuff. I have heard of the kingdom of Nilfgaard from overhearing the TV show in another room. Uh, but that doesn't really. Who factor- was watching the TV show in your home? Who wasn't you? It was definitely Laura watched it. Laura was Laura watched the Witcher show and you didn't. It's true. Wow, this is true. I don't know I'm- what I was doing in January 2020. January <laughs> 2020, uh, but I was not watching the Witcher really. I saw some of it, but. Well, because back then there was there was other stuff to do than to watch The Witcher. <laughs> That's true. And now there's not. That's true. So you really they really just missed their window. It's correct. Um, and the like, I guess from the other novels, you find out that like some elves have moved onto the continent several hundreds or thousands of years ago. Dwarves there and goes gnomes. the neighborhood. Yeah, dwarves and gnomes have been here a while, and then a few hundred years ago, humans showed up. That seems to be a, a trope that you can pretty much rely on. Is that like humans were the last to the all of the fantasy species party? Uh, or the sci-fi species party, a la like something like a Mass Effect or whatever, and like they're just causing problems wherever they go. Um, and they have certainly there's one story uh, in this collection that 
touches on like the elves being displaced from the land and not really knowing how to fit in in the new modern human world. <laughs> and uh, it kind of touches on like humans have changed how most living beings have to relate to nature now, and that's upsetting the balance of things. Um, if there's an overall theme of this collection, it's like the times they are a-changing, I guess. Uh, we get a character that references, like, you didn't used to need witchers in the before because, like, there weren't so many monsters to take care uh -huh. of. But then you also get Geralt talking to his buddy, the bard Dandelion, um, who I think is a good the, name for a bard. I think in the sh or he's like a poet. I think in the show he's named Jaskier or something like that. Um, he's he's bemoaning the decline of the Witcher. Geralt is and how people have monsters have become less common, and so now people don't want you to kill their bridge troll. The bridge troll is like a tourist attraction. Or like, dang, don't, yeah, dang city, just making the bridge troll like a historical monument. Uh -huh. You can't do anything to it without getting fined. <laughs> correct. Uh, so wait, wait, which interpretation of events is correct? It's unclear because I, I think there's some, there's probably some incongruity between the stories. I, I think okay. overall the vibe is that stuff is changing beneath people's feet, um, and because these stories are not building like a a very specific kingdom and political hierarchy that you need to worry about. It's more just the sense that like the way everyone's way of life seems to be changing or, or they're worried about it changing, which, you know, that's a very human thing. Everybody's got economic anxiety. Um, I mean, yeah, change is tough. Yep. <sighs> yep. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the Geralt. Well, let me, okay. The structure of this book Six short stories interspersed with a frame narrative called The Voice of Reason. I don't know. I don't know that I could tell you why it's called The Voice of Reason. It doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but those little snippets are Geralt at uh, a temple of the goddess. Uh, oh, gosh. What's her name? Uh, Melitel, maybe? Okay. Cool. Um, and he is staying there. They make there. Barbies, right? Sort well, he is staying there as kind of a way station in his career as a witcher. Uh, he has some sex with a mute servant named Iola. Nice. Um, he has conversations with the head priestess Nenike. Um, some knights from the local prince show up and they're like, Hey, this witcher's got to go. Uh, and the priestess is like, Well, he's kind of my friend and you can't boss me around. Um, and that is the like they keep returning to that in between each story and each story is either Geralt going wow remember that time I did this thing or hey I'm Geralt let me tell you the story about this thing that I did <laughs> it feels almost like it's a clip show for a show that you haven't seen the rest yeah of. <laughs> that kind of works actually yeah. And it, it does, you get the world then in bits and pieces as opposed to some, like think to a lot of, you know, I guess even Tolkien is a good example, but a lot of fantasy novels that have a like a chosen one narrative where like someone is given the, they are, they are going to change the world and it has to be them, but they also have to learn about the world because they're a bit of a fish out of water and haven't experienced all this stuff before. Yeah, like kind of kind of wheel of time, you know. A little bit, a little bit. Kind of huh? like the wheel of time. 
Is that the only one that we feel good? Re- <laughs> which which fancy novels do we want to reference here on just this Wheel show? Just Wheel of Time. <laughs> okay, no, Tolkien's fine too. Okay, Tolkien cool. and Wheel of Time. That's it. Not the other ones. Um, no Song of Ice and Fire. No. What even is that? And nothing about a school full of wizards. Um, I hate that song. The only song that I acknowledge on this podcast is the Toss a Coin to Your Witcher <laughs> song. Um, so yeah, you get this kind of like, well, here's some stuff the Witcher did, and it builds towards a, a portrait of a guy who is like kind of a cynical, but uh, possessing a certain integrity. He's not quite an anti-hero, and he's not even, I wouldn't even go so far as to call him like a Han Solo. He's more of like a, like a Ronin, like he just kind of wanders looking for works so that he can get paid and he is a bit of a centrist he does he does make an argument Man, Geralt, come on about evil um and his place to decide like what to do about evil that is like listen uh what does he say lesser greater middling it's all the same proportions are negotiated boundaries blurred i'm not a pious hermit i haven't done only good in my life but if i'm to choose between one evil and another then i prefer not to choose at all time for me to go we'll see each other tomorrow that's in that's inside of a story okay. about evil cool. and then he goes from there to go like vote for joe jorgensen <laughs> i guess <laughs> He does end up getting forced to make a choice, but that is the starting point of Geralt is that he is like, he will he will not uh, take money to kill people. He is specifically as a witcher, like his job is to kill monsters and evil creatures, um, but he, he prefers not to get into the like political machinations of man. Because sure. that is just like what humans do, and his his job is not to to get into that. Um, he is a magical mutant man. The word the book uses mutants more time than I expected as a word. Cool um, to refer to both people like the Witcher, who you go you get like taken as a baby to the Witcher temple or something, and they do a bunch of experiments on you with magical chemicals and then if you like are resistant enough to them you get to grow up and become a witcher um you do have to like you drink some potions to get your witcher powers like kind of like as we were talking the other day andrew popeye eating spinach like he's got to take his little <laughs> his pre-combat buffs before My he goes point in about popeye eating spinach though is that it's gross when popeye <laughs> squeezes the can of spinach and it all streams out into his mouth wait so you're taken as a baby and you have to be able to survive like certain tests but then you get your witcher powers yep. by ingesting other things are those related like it, it sounds mm. like being a witcher is a is both nature and nurture yes, or what am yes. I, what am I? No, it's, no, it's definitely both. You've, you have been experimented on and you are now like a little more than just an average human. Is that why your hair goes all white when you're a witcher? Uh, that I don't know that all witchers have their hair go white. This one is that does. a, is that a thing in the, that's in the book? Yes. He is referred okay. to as the white wolf. Um, I got it. And he is, he is like, noted as a particularly strong witcher cooper a bit of a a bit of an anderson cooper yeah a bit of a (laughs) 
What's the guy from Mad Men? John Slattery. John Slattery. John yeah. Slattery. A bit of a John Slattery. Yes. You got your silver foxes and then you got your white wolves. Wow. Um, and he... Ironically, Wolf Blitzer, not a white wolf. Weird how that happened. <laughs> yeah, you would have thought. Um, also, Wolf Blitzer, not a witcher, as far as I understand. Um, mm-hmm. Well, who knows? Um, but I mean, he does he does equivocate <laughs> on a lot of points. Anyway, please continue. And yes. stop letting me interrupt. That's you with okay. My anxious babbling. No, that's fine. That's what we're here to do. Um, he he does have like things about him that are just inherently magical, and he has like kind of I don't think he has full on Wolverine healing, but he does heal quicker. You know, than than your like average. If, does human. he heal a lot if he eats like a turkey leg or something, or does he just? He just has like a continuous healing sort of buff. It's a, it's a buff. From his yeah, he has a natural okay. regen that's just on him a little bit. Okay. Um, but he does drink some kind of power up potions when he's really getting ready for combat. Now that that only factors into the first story <laughs> that I saw, um, <laughs> but it is implied that that is like part of how he works. Um, and the whole thing in this world about how magic magic is pretty regulated in this world in the sense that like it, there is some sort of wizard council that regulates how many wizards there are and where they're stationed and what they're supposed to do. Witchers obviously operate outside of that council, which makes them a little more dangerous. And there are characters that we meet later, such as Yennefer of Vengerbar? Vengerberg. Yennefer of Vengerberg, <laughs> um, who is a sorceress. A, juror. a sorceress who operates outside of the Magic Council. All that to say that, excuse me, that like witchers, when they roll into your town, most people are not excited to see one because they don't know why they're there. They're typically scary people who deal with scary things. Well, and do you, do you get into kind of a a Gandalf situation where people are like, whenever you show up, bad stuff happens. Yeah, and Gandalf is like, I am only coming because I need you to, I need to protect you from the bad stuff. A little bit, yes. Okay. Um, though Geralt is certainly not as purely motivated. He's very upfront about the fact that he's there for the coin. Um, so I want to talk about like three of the of the six stories in a little bit of detail because I think they really drive home the style and maybe why they caught on in other media. Okay. Um, and then we can reference the, the other ones briefly. So the first one, the story called The Witcher, is like, I found it the most interesting. It is also the one that is the most textbook example of a Witcher story. And it opens with ev- the way every D&D campaign opens, Andrew, where Geralt is in a bar and he gets in a fight. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> listen, how else are you going to meet your band of unlikely allies? <laughs> it's true. Well, he doesn't make any allies. He only makes uh, enemies. And it's he- kind of appropriate for how you talked about like the the general approach that it seems like Sapovsky's taking is like. It's it's a pastiche of a bunch of stuff. It is. It is. Where like every time I've ever written anything for a and d campaign, it's been like, which Square Enix RPGs <laughs> am I going to steal elements from this time around? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and so after he gets in a bar fight and everyone's like, oh, dang, it's a witcher. Um, he gets hauled in front of Velorod the Castellan of Wisdom, which... Uh, 
Velarod may show up in other stories. Wisdom may be important, but in these stories, it's just a bunch of names that I was like, oh, God, okay. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and, and this is where Whenever we... you're reading a fantasy novel, you hit like that first <laughs> noun or name that's like, oh, boy, here I am in this fantasy novel. It's true. Well, in this one... <laughs> Usually, it's whenever you find out what they call money. <laughs> I think they call it Orin in this. Okay. O-R-E-N. Um, but even in this one, it's even that is like magnified, Andrew, because Topovsky's not setting all of this in a single kingdom. There are kings, there are queens, there are princes, there are princesses. There's way more than you think there should be. And every story, if it deals with any of them, is dealing with a different one. So there's there's like not a a clear hierarchy. It actually reminds me, of, I guess, a bit of Middle Earth, but it, it seems even more decentralized than that. That it's just like, I don't know, people live here, some of them are in charge, the rest of them are mad about who's in charge. Um, and so Geralt is hauled in front of Velarad, and Velarad wants him to maybe solve a problem that the kingdom of Temeria has. Turns out the king had an incestuous relationship with his sister, Oopsie. and his... <laughs> His daughter was born as a Striga, which is uh, a monster, a, a vampiric lady monster based on Slavic folklore. It's been going on for about seven years now where she is confined to the basement of the old castle. The king moved to a new castle wisely. <laughs> <laughs> And she sometimes you just gotta cut, 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 and run. <laughs> it's true. Um, she will eat anybody who comes into the castle, and every full moon she will come out into the town and eat other people. And well, they want Geralt's help to deal with it. The king has offered three thousand coins for someone who can uh, cure his daughter, not kill her, because. Uh, one of his advisors said that maybe if someone spends the night there and keeps her from getting into her sarcophagus by dawn, the curse will be lifted. Okay, so Geralt is literally being told that he can get money, but only if he spends the night in a haunted house. <laughs> it's true. It is what he has to do. And he's like, well, maybe I'll do it. Um, okay. Some think that you should probably just kill her and then tell the king, "Well, you gave it your best shot. <laughs> like, hey, I, I, you know, I tried to save her, but she is a monster, so I did have to kill her." Um, and this guy Velarod, I think, is the one who offers Geralt like half of the money. He's like, "Listen, you just go in there and kill her, and then we'll tell the king that you tried hard, and then I'll just pay you half of the reward, and you can leave." And he's like, I don't think that's a good deal, but noted. And then he goes and he talks to the king. And the king's like, listen, they probably offered you money to kill her, huh? Uh, <laughs> if you do, maybe I'll kill you and they won't have to pay you. That's what they're banking on. But if you kill her in, no in self-defense, I won't give you the reward, but like you can leave. I'll just have to keep up. I'll have to keep kayfabe and like yell at you while you leave. Okay. Um, so this is where like this story and other stories do this too. They feel like I'm playing Skyrim. They really feel like a kind of a narrative binary choice that is like fleshed out by character motivations. And then Geralt has like an, a couple of options in front of him that he's going to choose from. What would you do in this? 
What would you expect to do in this instance, Andrew? Are you going to try and cure the Striga? Are you just going to kill it? This is my issue every time I play any game that has this, the basic uh, computer video game RPG, like good evil system yes. where you can make choices that are good and you can make choices that are evil is I usually end up wimping out and being a good guy instead of being a jerk. Yeah. Um, and often like, I think Bioshock is the canonical example I'm thinking of. And sorry for all the game talk for people out there who are not gamers like me and Craig, <laughs> hardcore gamers. Um, but often just the rewards for being a good yeah, or not as in the game are like yeah. better than the ones yeah. for being a bad person. And so the game is like pushing you into that. It's it's strange. Um, but yeah, I, I always go in being like, what if I'm a jerk this time? But I always end up being like virtuous and cool because it usually <laughs> ends up paying better dividends in the end. Well, so Geralt is one who's like, listen, I'm just here for the money. I'm going to do the choice that gets me the most money. So I'm going to spend the night and we're going to see. And that's, if- and that's how you end up getting pushed into the good path yeah. is you're like, how do I maximize my rewards? Yeah. Oh, usually it means being the good guy and not like slicing the head wizard's head <laughs> off or whatever. <laughs> I'll give Sapkowski credit though. He does introduce a third option, Andrew, which is a Lord Ostrit shows up just as Geralt's about to go into the castle. And he's like, listen, what if everything just stayed as it was? What if we didn't deal with the Striga? And Geralt's like... More centrists. Yes. And Geralt's like, well, I think I already know why you would want me to do that. If I don't kill the Striga, then uh, it erodes confidence in the Mad King. And then you could use that to like install your preferred king uh, because this guy will lose you know, credibility as his monster daughter keeps eating the townspeople. Uh, and Ostrich's like, well, I mean, definitely. It's probably not my... Well, yeah, okay, you got me. And Geralt actually uses him as bait to lure out the Striga, and that dude gets totally eaten, like in in a way that is like the lawyer in Jurassic Park. You he gets eaten, you're like, all right, dang, that's that good, guy deserved yeah, it he deserved because it. of the way he lived his life. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then we get like a fight scene with the Striga where there's lots of like, I don't know, I okay, I have not watched the show, I do not know how they render it, but it feels like a lot of like flashing of of you know, finger hand signals and then a sign which does magic. Um, he's okay. not casting like fire or magic missile. He's doing like the sign of, you know, a name for one of a god or like the sign of the Hierophant or something. And it like will freeze someone in place or hit them with magical energy or something. Um, and he's got weapons that are made of silver. All, all monsters, Andrew, are weak to silver. <laughs> So that that tracks with my experience from like werewolves and like Final Fantasy. Yeah, that makes sense. How many do you get a sense of like how many different spells there are in this game? Like, is it like (laughs) in this game book? Is it like Harry Potter where the only spells are like disarming someone or brutally murdering them? Or are there different things going Um, on? It seems like there might be different types of magic that don't all get referenced in these stories. Um, there is certainly magic that is like results in a telekinetic blast or kind of a protective shield. 
Um, there is magic that you might use to heal people, which Geralt doesn't really need because whatever, but it does exist in the universe. Um, and then one of the later stories where we meet Yennefer, there's a lot of discussion around how powerful wizards and witchers are. And if you could control a genie, because yes, there are genies in this world, apparently. Um, and they're each tied to the various, the, the four main elements, Andrew, air, wind, water, fire. Um, Worse, no, love that band. Air, wind, air, earth, water, fire. Um, what's the band? Earth, wind, and fire. Yes. No water or ice in that band. No. Um, if you had one of those genies, you could use it to do magic that is more powerful than anything you could do, which seems cool. Um, but he is mostly using it as like kind of basic combat magic uh, to get himself out of scrapes. He does fight this monster for a little while but he doesn't want to kill her he ends up actually putting himself in her in her sarcophagus and sleeping with her dead mom like he doesn't like he sleeps next to her dead mom he sleeps next to her dead mom yeah you need to be a little yeah Um, there been, a lot of stuff's happened so far. You got the incest, you got the genies, you got the different magic yes. spells, you got the silver swords, like anything goes. Gotta this be careful a, This here. is a kitchen sink fantasy novel Correct. So um, and he wakes up in the morning. Dawn has broken. The Striga has mostly become a 14-year-old girl again. Um, but before she is fully transformed back to being a human, um, she does like slash his throat very severely which is actually the explanation for the frame narrative is that he is there like recovering from this severe injury in the first story um and that's like the end of that story he like gets his reward this girl is basically going to be like a feral teenager for a few years because she's been a striga ever since she was born um but he's Geralt. he's gotta move on and like do his thing um but i i Wanted to talk through that mostly because of this, like, one person has one thing Geralt could do. Another person has another thing Geralt could do. And can Geralt find a compromise or will he be forced into, like, doing what someone wants? Um, is a is a, a repeating conceit in these stories. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, did we spend this much time on this particular story because it sets up a bunch of, like, repeating yeah. elements that we run into over and over throughout this, like, anthology of things? Correct. In the, yeah, okay. the story uh, that has that lesser evil quote that I gave earlier, the story is called The Lesser Evil. Cool. Um, and it is set up because the, the guards that want to kick Geralt out of the temple are like, yo, he's the butcher of Bla- of Blaviken, okay? He's got to go. <laughs> and then the next chapter is like, let's go to Blaviken and remember how Geralt got that moniker. Um, are, we, are, we, are we married to Blaviken is my question. It's B-L-A-V-I-K-E-N. Blaviken? I mean, I'm just, I'm not saying are oh. you and I married to how that pronunciation is. It's, it's, is this book married to that name period? Um, it is unfortunately. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and Blavikin starts with him rolling into town with a monster that he killed. And it's like, anybody want to pay me for this monster, <laughs> which is a real witcher problem to have. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to pay him. And they're like, Hey, do you want to just like go up the hill to the wizard 
in town and maybe see if he wants the monster. I mean, th- this is what happens when you fulfill the conditions of a quest before you have formally Correct. accepted the quest from the NPC. You haven't gotten it in your <laughs> log, but you do have the item in your inventory and you can't sell it because it's a quest item. Right. That's how it works, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the he goes to meet the wizard. It's a guy named Stregabor. And he's hiding because he has a whole backstory that involves a bunch of cursed princesses. All the princesses were born during a solar eclipse, and now they're all like evil princesses who may or may not be mutants. Um, there's a fun lo- going all in, all <laughs> in. A fun part where Stregobor is like, "Oh yeah, they were all born on the day of the black sun," and Geralt's like, "Dude, that's an eclipse. It's just an eclipse. You could call it an eclipse." And that we could call it the day of the black sun, though. That just seemed cooler. There, there is a there is a, a strain of Geralt. And I guess some, I was surprised that this book mentioned endocrine glands and carotid arteries. When you think of fantasy novels, I think I tend to think that we're all just operating on like a Middle Ages level of science. Yeah, sort of. If If you are washing your hands, you are pretty much at the top of your game yes medically speaking correct yeah. <laughs> and Geralt's out here being like no dude it's an eclipse listen um this sword is forged from a meteorite I'm sure that you think that meteors are like from gods or whatever but it's just a rock from space uh it is a cool rock though because my sword's great like there is an an interesting um and this is a, a tension that I think other fantasy worlds build in which is the like is magic real or not? Does magic still exist in this world? Where does magic come from? And I was just surprised at like the little flavors of Geralt kind of being a man of science, even as he uses magic himself. I had not mm-hmm. really seen something like that before. There is like a whole treatise on... I, mean, I guess there would be like a... Not what we would think of as science, but there are in these books like systems for how magic works. Like it's not all totally random. Sure. There, there would be a a science of magic, for lack of a better Yeah, and we don't term, get we don't get too far into that. I kind of expected more of that. Um there is a description of a capital F force, a la Star Wars. Um, but then there are priestesses who claim that their goddesses are like part of that force and how it works. So there's some debate, but that's kind of happening in the background. Um, this lesser of this lesser of evil stories involves Stregobor and the cursed princesses and a cursed princess named Renfri who's going to try and kill him. And Stregobor is like, hey, uh, why don't you kill her if she shows up to kill me? Like, that would be cool. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not going to get into your business. And then she does roll into town with her seven henchmen. There's a lot of references to, to Snow White in this story. And she's like, hey, Geralt. Maybe let's bone, but also what if you killed Stregobor to protect me? Because he did a bunch of evil stuff to me when I was a kid. And like, which is the less lesser evil here, me or him? Make a choice, Geralt. <laughs> I'm just going to stare at you and do my idol animation until you make this choice. Uh, and that boils over into him being like, no, I'm not going to make a choice. And she feigns accepting that and claiming to leave the next day. It is clear that she is not left, and she is instead going to order her henchmen to kill a bunch of townspeople as an attempt to like lure Stregobor out of his wizard tower. And it results in Geralt killing all of her henchmen and her, becoming the butcher of Blaviken, 
um, and moving on with his life. So like he always makes a choice and then it it's not always like a positive choice for everyone involved, but he does ultimately have to make some sort of choice, Geralt does. Yeah, sure. Um, and then the story where we meet Yennefer of Vengerberg, Yennefer of Vengerberg, <laughs> excuse me. Um, is this the third of the three stories you want? Yeah, to Yeah, and about? this is okay, the cool. this is the titular last wish story. The story is called the Last Wish. It does involve a genie. They find a genie. It tries to kill his buddy Dandelion. Burns his vocal cords up. Um, and it's unclear who got to use a wish. Geralt was holding a sealed, some sort of jar seal that may or may not have actually been the key to the wishes. Unclear. So they turn to the rogue sorceress Yennefer to save Dandelion. Uh, and instantly Geralt's like, she's hot and powerful and intriguing. And I can tell by looking into her, her eyes that she uh, grew up with disabilities and is angry about it. Because that's a whole other part of this like world where people who learn magic typically are people who are like you know dealing with physical ailments and then the magic kind of heals them and makes them hot in a way that other people <laughs> didn't view them as hot before which feels really messed up yeah um, and i know it's like a big part of the show also like yennefer's transformation i did see that scene and it's really intense mm-hmm. um but so he just knows that she is like particularly vengeful as to how she's been treated and it makes him kind of interested in her, but also she's dangerous. She wants to capture the genie so that she can use it to do more powerful magic. He wants to stop her. Uh, and it ends with that, with her trying to capture a genie in a way that is like destroying a whole town. And he reveals that he's been the one using the genie wishes. He uses his third wish. We never know what he says specifically. And I read multiple articles about this, about the fact that we don't actually know what his wish was. Okay. But it did bind their fates together somehow, uh, Geralt and Yennefer. Here is Yennefer speaking. That wish of yours, I heard what you wished for. I was astounded, simply astounded. I've, I'd have expected anything, but what made you do it, Geralt? Why me? Your wish. I don't know whether such a wish can ever be fulfilled. I don't know whether there's such a force in nature that could fulfill such a wish. But if there is, then you've condemned yourself. Condemned yourself to me. And now it feels like they have feelings for each other because they start banging in the tavern after the genie goes away. Like, I mean, imagine the, are, the part like... in Twister where they're in that house and it's like broken. <laughs> and imagine if when they found them, they were just banging. When uh-huh. they find Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. So I, I guess like a, some kind of unique experience would cause them to also become like physically close as well. Yes, as possibly. close. Okay. It, it is intimated that maybe because he was the genie's master and the genie would never harm him, his last wish was to like tie her fate to his so that the genie would not hurt her also. Okay. Which then, I don't know how that plays into future interactions between the two of them. It does seem important. Um, who knows? I don't know. But that that I wanted to make sure we talk about that because it introduces Yennefer, who is a big character in the series and is like a, a different type of magic user who is very personally motivated um, by her own trauma and by, you know, 
her lust for power that Geralt is just like, I don't know, I got to do my job, and like, I don't want to have a destiny, but maybe I, like, it seems like the the novels may be dealing with the fact that Geralt has a destiny, I don't know. So, questions for you, Please. I guess. Yeah, hit me. Mostly, mostly just like, wondering how the experience of reading this book for yeah. a, like a super popular video game and TV <laughs> franchise that you've never experienced before. Like, I don't know. Does it, does it make you curious to, to watch the show or to, to play the game? Does it, does it give you some sort of insight in as to like why this character became popular or why there was this like slow burn, like international success aspect of this particular like fantasy novel. It's cause it sounds pretty, and and not to say that this is bad, but it does sound at least in this entry, like it is fairly like it's doing some interesting like synthesis of these elements, but it's fairly by the numbers in a lot of ways. It's a it's a little by the numbers, but it also I wonder if it picked up a bunch of steam by being uh you know, very specific to that part of Eastern Europe and its culture. Like, I can't fully speak to that. There, the It's a real, you know, menagerie of monsters and creatures that we meet, and some of them do seem to be drawing on Eastern European folklore that probably speaks to that audience, which helped it gain an initial, like, round of people interested in it, which is different from kind of your UK-focused... Tolkien stuff, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and I think I can. See, I definitely felt like I, as reading these, I was, and I've been talking about this. I feel like I get why someone looked at this and was like, "Oh, we could make a video game out of this." Like, it's a guy who's got magic powers, and he's not tied down by anyone, so we can send him wherever we want. And most of what he does is like roll into town and solve people's problems. There's a lot of like. Sherlock Holmes style talking to different characters to get them to reveal information he needs uh, to like advance the plot. Um, he is he is honorable, but he's not a goody two shoes, which is a character like a, a collection of character traits that people find compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that the encountering it as a series of stories as opposed to a grand narrative about an existing kingdom that's going to have an a, like a full narrative arc like that to me makes sense as to why it would become like intriguing to people mm-hmm. um the fact that there is not a like oh well it he doesn't have a quest at the beginning like and that's just different it feels we've been talking Andrew about like kind of liking the low stakes Star Wars of the Mandalorian. Yeah and, yeah. and yes, he does have a like, especially for season two now has like this quest with baby Yoda, I guess, but it's not so much that like the universe is going to fall apart if he doesn't do it. And Geralt has this vibe of like, I'm going to roll into town. And if there's a monster to kill, that's great. Cause I need some money. And then I'm going to go over here and like, try not to get killed by a King. I made mad. And then I'm going to go over here <laughs> and like have sex with a lady. Cause I made her happy. And then we're going to move on. Um, and that's just, it's different from 
uh, I think a lot of the like, oh my god, the world is ending fantasy fiction. Like, it, I think it actually contrasts pretty well with something like Game of Thrones, at least in these short stories, because it is not high political intrigue. Um, but you're still like with monsters and fighting stuff and. Every story has some sort of climactic battle scene, if that's what you're looking for. Um, and it just like, I don't know. I liked the I liked the scene the the story there's a riff on Beauty and the Beast where a dude got turned into a monster because he did uh, force a woman to have sex with him and she cast a spell on him. And now he just lives in this house as a monster man and like him and Geralt like hang out for a few days and it turns out he's not the worst bad guy in the story. Like (laughs) it was just an interest. That one kind of surprised me along the way as like what is actually happening here. Um, But I will say that it does get silly sometimes if that hasn't already been made clear because in that same story we get a we get a scene where we meet the real monster who's like some sort of vampire and Geralt says are you a mula alpor uh and the like just guessing different monsters that the monster might be and she keeps nodding like shaking her head and then he goes that means you're a and the monster just yells a bruxa and then they start fighting like why did you just yell four different monster names that i craig have never heard of because i just started (laughs) reading this book um and that that is like the double-edged sword of being part of a larger world that is not being fleshed out with a narrative in mind and is just kind of like we're dipping into other stuff Mm -hmm. um our good friend Dr. Van Arendonk over at Vulture.com said some similar stuff about the show The Witcher um, and how it kind of is fun for not making a lot of sense. Um, the show, as I understand it, also presents like three parallel narratives in different timelines, but never tells you that they're in different timelines until like the end of the season. <laughs> um, and that to me feels a little similar to how these stories, they, uh, they build a character portrait additively, but they're not interested in interconnecting. And they are kind of their own little roller coaster, like thrill rides. Um, what does Catherine say? Uh, the Witcher is full of goofy absurdity and catchy tunes. If The Witcher is an indication of what viewers want and the successor to Game of Thrones, then what viewers want is more silliness. Watching is like riding a roller coaster that short circuits your high order thinking, bypassing reason entirely in favor of spectacle. It is immeasurably stupid. It is extremely enjoyable. And instead of opposing each other, The Witcher storytelling works by making those two qualities fuel each other. That sounds like a Catherine paragraph to me. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but the way that uh, Zapovsky is like riffing on established folklore, like taking glancing blows at this established, like at this, you know, mythology that he is building, but maybe hasn't all laid out before he started writing these stories. Um, it is just a different way to encounter a fantasy world than I think most of us are used to, where it's like a, a an established hero narrative. Um, that has a, a concrete journey that it's going across. I don't know. I would be interested probably to dip into whatever the next TV show is and like... There's a second season, 2021, baby. Yeah, man. Sign me up. Why not? Yeah. I'll toss a coin to The Witcher. Toss a coin to your Netflix. <laughs> I do every month. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mostly worth it, I think. <laughs> uh, But yeah, I... I'm, I 
think that the um, you and I mutual grounding in RPG narrative hooks actually prepared me well for this because those things can't always add up to something greater than the discrete parts, you know? Um, and so just taking these stories as they came worked for me. But yeah, that's uh, that's The Witcher, Andrew. Cool. I'm glad to have been witched. Have you been witched? I think you witched me. Hey, be witched. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good joke. Thanks. <laughs> uh, do you want to take us out? Yeah, I can take us out. Send us an email about you. your favorite Witcher story, overduepod at gmail.com. Send us notes on Facebook or Twitter, uh, especially if you're voting this week. Hit us up at overduepod. Uh, that's the handle. Thanks to Nancy, Katie, Megan, Mel, Lexi, Aaron, Lena, Sarah, Florian, Carrie, Sam, Amber, and many more. We were wishing Andrew a happy birthday last week on social media. Thanks to everybody who did that. Happy belated birthday, my good friend Andrew. Um, the one I'm talking to here on the show. That's me. That's you, Andrew. If folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com. That's our internet website. Up there we have Apple Podcasts, Google, and uh, RSS links. We are also on Stitcher and Spotify and anywhere else you find fine podcasts. Um, We have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Craig's going to fill you in on our November schedule in a second. But if you follow the links that are on our website, you will find a uh, listing for those books on bookshop.org, which is a website that gives us a cut of the price of a book and also supports your local independent bookseller. Important. So we feel pretty good about trying to help with that to the extent that we can. Um, votesaveamerica.com. By the time you're listening to this election day in the United States is tomorrow. It's possible that you have voted already um, either early or by mail, depending on the laws in your state. But uh, you can go to that website and find some information about what those laws are. There are also things about down ballot races, uh, ballot initiatives, like all kinds of other stuff that is that is you know very important and not the you know the top of the ticket stuff that is consuming all of our every waking moments. We hope that you all do okay this week. We have no idea how it's going to go. Yep. Uh, we are just going to take it a day at a time and. Uh, yeah, go from there. Thanks to Nick Larangis, who composed our theme song. Uh, tune in later this week on the main feed for our Lovecraft Country episode that we recorded with some of our Patreon supporters in the chat. And as Andrew said, we do have a schedule for November. You just listened to The Last Wish, Witcher Number 1 by Andrei Zivkovsky. Next week, we're going to be talking about Charmed Life by Diana Wynne-Jones. That's the author of Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, then Top Dog Underdog by Susan Laurie Parks. It's an award-winning American play. Followed by The Buried Giant by Kazuo Ushiguro and The Graduate by Charles Webb. You know, Mrs. Robinson and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, we also owe you some Genie Babies episodes. You'll get those as well. And that will be our kind of bonus episode for the month will be some combo Genie Baby stuff. So keep an eye out for that. That's it, Andrew. We got to get out of here. I've been talking about The Witcher too long. I got to go get Witch myself. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Take care of yourself and try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. You going to bring me back in? Craig, witch, witch me, baby, one more time. <laughs> no, not, not like that. <laughs> not like this. Not, not like, like this. this. <laughs> not like this. <laughs>